Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my unknown co-hosts. Oh, yeah. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a frog with a million names. Could you tell us some of those names? They are unknowable. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but you can call me Mr. Frog. <laughs> Yay! Oh, I like the formal title. Yeah. Hey, do you know who my favorite character from Chrono Trigger is? Frog. Oh, I was going to say Robo. Oh, shit, yeah. No, it's Frog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very nice. And me? Who am I? Where is this? <laughs> when is this? What's going on? <laughs> well, me, I'm Jack. Jack Olander. Whoa. And I am just trying to keep your daughter safe. Don't you want her soul to keep burning on? Oh, shit. Come on. Cut down those trees. Sound a little bit like the beast there, buddy. Ah, no. I, I was, I... I'm a capitalist. Oh, oh that's it's way more terrifying. Don't yeah. you want to support your family? Go work ten hour jobs, you know? Oh fuck. Overtime. No thanks. I'm a podcaster. Oh yeah, that makes sense. There's already no hope for us. <laughs> that's a given. Well guys, I'm really excited because today we are finishing up our special satire TV series on beloved animated uh, episodic miniseries over the garden wall and today we're going to be talking about the final four episodes seven through ten but you know what i found over a garden wall once the swords and satire patreon account <laughs> I thought you were going to say a treasure chest full of cash. <laughs> oh, man, I wish. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. N no, I just found our beloved patrons who support us every month on Patreon. And if you're enjoying the show, you could support us, too, by going to patreon.com slash swords and satire. Check out the different membership tiers. And if you feel like it and you want to get some Bonus episodes and some extra exclusive content. Like voting on the movies that we watch each month. And our outtakes, of which, I mean, there's probably not that many, right, Chelsea? There are so many. It's like we do it on purpose. <laughs> so you're telling me that you don't keep every single second of the recording? No. Oh, wow. There's some outtakes that are, like, too spicy even for our patrons to hear <laughs> oh boy well we're not going to talk about those <laughs> but you can also get our rewriting history episodes which are super fun yeah those are kind of like our movie pitch episodes but you know our own brand of zany and you also get our eternal love that's true which is priceless very true but guys, all right, it's time for us to talk about the last four episodes of Over the Garden Wall, and I'm really excited to do this with you guys. But before we get into talking about the episodes, we should probably summarize them for viewers who haven't watched it in like a day or two. Right, you know. Since yeah. I figure uh, Over the Garden Wall is a weekly tradition for most people. Yeah. 
They just keep it on the background, you know, yeah. for, for the vibe. Yeah, dude, this is a show for vibing. Mm-hmm. I will remind that the show in its entirety is only two hours long. So you could watch it every week. Yeah, absolutely. You could watch it every day. Yeah. All right. We'll give them a summary. So in The Ringing of the Bell, episode seven, the boys are running through the rain. They're looking for shelter. And they happen upon a cottage in the woods. But before that, the woodsmen warned them not to fall ill or lose hope or the beasts would capture them. Spooky stuff. So in this cottage that they take refuge in from the storm, they find they meet Lorna, a sickly girl, and her aunt, Auntie Whispers. But not her actual aunt. No. They're not really family. But they are family. Kin is kin, I say. Auntie Whispers is pretty creepy. Uh, Real Tim Curry type. Yeah. (laughs) And you think she's going to, like, eat the kids. But then it turns out, uh uh-oh, Lorna's possessed by an evil spirit. And only doing manual labor will keep her from harming others. Oh, capitalism strikes again. Mm-hmm. She almost gets to the boys, but then they ring the bell, and Wirt figures out to, how to basically do an exorcism, <laughs> and uh, they free Lorna from the clutches of the spirit. In episode eight, Babes in the Wood, Wirt and Greg are sailing along the marshlands, or the bog, I guess, in an outhouse, and they finally reach land. And at that point, Wirt just kind of says, you know what? I'm just, I'm kind of done. He's losing hope. He's losing hope. He's he's feeling like this whole journey is just not really going to work out. So might as well just lay down and die. Mm. So the boys do that. They grab some nice leaf blankets and go to sleep. Settle and, down for a little eternal rest. Yeah, you know, like you do. Mm-hmm. And in that time, we get a nice little delve into Greg's psyche slash the dream realms, I guess. Yeah. Because we go into this very classic cartoon style dream sequence of Greg's where he meets three different welcome committees and a bunch of colorful characters until he's attacked by the North Wind. But in the end, he's able to bottle the North Wind And he kind of wakes up from his dream and decides that he needs to make up for getting he and Wirt lost. And he sets off without Wirt. Wirt realizes that Greg has left and ends up falling into the ice while looking for him and is saved by a familiar voice of Beatrice and the fish from the boat who's in the beginning of this episode and is probably the best character in the entire series. Mm-hmm. We call him Boatfish. Also, Greg left with the beast. Yes, that's right. A bit of an exchange after learning that Wirt was succumbing to the beast's influence. Mm-hmm. But episode nine, Into the Unknown, is a wacky flashback to unfamiliar familiar surroundings 
where we see Wirt in a more modern setting, getting ready for a Halloween party. Ooh, Halloween. I love Halloween. That's right. Not not big on parties. And we see him make up his signature gnomish outfit. Yeah. And we see that he has made a poetry and clarinet tape for someone named Sarah, whom he intends to give it to. And we know he's a good poet. It's true. However, along the way, he accidentally delivers the tape after meeting up with his brother Greg, who is apparently dressed up as an elephant. And an agent of chaos. <laughs> well, he is an agent of chaos who's dressed up as an elephant. Mm-hmm. One thing leads to another, and Wirt's anxiety keeps him from talking to Sarah several times throughout the night. Until eventually... She decides to invite him to hang out at the cemetery with a group of friends, and he awkwardly follows them from a distance. <laughs> Instead of taking the invitation. And then sends his younger brother to go out and socialize by accident. The cops play a practical prank on all the kids. Oh, God. Wirt and Greg end up climbing a very high wall, falling off the other side, finding a frog, and nearly getting hit by a train, and then nearly drowning. Would you say that the wall they go over is a garden wall? Yes, I would. Whoa. A My garden wall led to a lethal fall. <laughs> Mind blown. Yes. In episode 10, The Unknown... We just went into that. Holy <laughs> We see that Wirt had been saved by Beatrice's family, who keep trying to feed him dirt. And uh, he goes looking for Greg in a snowstorm because he can't leave him to his fate and he wants to save his brother. He runs into Beatrice while he's wandering through the woods and she helps direct him to where she saw Greg, who is turning into an Edelwood tree. Oh no! And... The beast is trying to lure the huntsman to cut him down, and the woodsman is resisting and claims that he didn't know what the Adel trees were made out of before. Uh, trigger warning. Yeah. yeah. Lost souls. <laughs> sure. Wirt confronts the beast and gets a hold of the lantern and figures out that it's really the beast soul that's trapped inside. And he calls the beast bluff when he's about to snuff out the flame. And so the woodsman, he gives the lantern back to the woodsman, who is now more fully in control and actually douses the flame. Bringing darkness to the land. Wirt and Beatrice help Grey get out of the tree that's growing around him. And they run off into the woods and then Wirt and Greg come back to themselves in ordinary reality, and they swim out of the water and get help and are at the hospital. And their their friends are all around them, and they're recounting their tales. And the frog is there, too, of course. Jason Funderburger. Also, Jason Funderburger's there. Yeah, the smelly human, but you know. Not the cool frog. And Sarah and Wirt have a meaningful moment and they're going to start hanging out and it's everything's all good. Nice. Wow, what a great summary. <laughs> I think we should probably head into the delve.
All right, guys. So we've got a lot to talk about for these final four episodes, but I think we should probably begin by discussing one of the most important characters in the entire series, the Beast. The catalyst for much of the scary stuff that's going on in this fun, but also terrifying world. I mean, he's just so great. He has this amazing, alluring voice, and he loves to sing. I mean... Who doesn't love that? He seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, you're right. We should probably go hang out with the Beast. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> He's got... Is that the Beast calling? <laughs> yeah. He's got everything. He's got the voice. He's got antlers. He's a silhouette. Most of the time. Like all my favorite people. This is just a description of all my favorite people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But in all seriousness, I, I kind of think he's a symbol for despair, the loss of hope, you know? Right. Or the allure of death. Because, like, at one point he's singing about surrendering and, like, being wrapped in the warm embrace of the earth. Oh, that sounds so nice. Wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. It's seductive, you know? He's also a creature who keeps to the shadows, but we do get a very brief glimpse of his tryptophobia-inducing body. Oh, God. I'm glad I didn't like see it for too long because it would really creep me out. I'm already <laughs> feeling itchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty hype. Made out of faces. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be maybe like a collection of lost souls or some kind of similar demon. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those demons that's made up of souls. And it's almost like he traps those souls, either in the lantern or in himself. Well, we so th- we know that the lantern has his soul in it. Mm-hmm. And it, by extinguishing that, it seems to kind of undo the world of the unknown or kind of help to, or at least in realizing that the beast has been kind of a red herring in a way, or has, been, so. or has been leading the like woodsmen astray and the, yeah. the kids have been told that the beast is a threat and then they in like the episode songs from the dark lantern from earlier the boys are kind of given the impression that the woodsman might be the beast there's all this mythology where nobody really knows what the threat is but after work kind of sees through the beast tricks and kind of refuses to play the beast game anymore. Yeah. That's when the boys are able to quickly and kind of effortlessly leave the unknown. Yeah, I mean, it's all manipulation and subterfuge. The beast doesn't seem to actually be able to deal damage directly to anybody. It's just more psychic like, damage. Yeah, he's more like an agent of fear. He relies on causing fear in others to manipulate them. And if he does not succeed, he's defeated. Yeah. If you can beat him at his own game. If you can just kind of deny that he's important, you, he kind of has no power over you. Yeah. He kind of, yeah, I, I think a embodiment of fear is a good description of him because if you aren't afraid of him, he has no power. And, you know, 
Greg never lost hope, but he willingly became one of the lost to save uh, Wirt. Right, because the Beast kind of gives him these supposedly impossible tasks that Wirt just kind of keeps doing in interesting ways. Like, he's supposed to get a gold comb, so he brings a honeycomb. He's supposed to get a spool of silver, so he wraps a spider web up on a stick. He finds creative ways to solve these riddles or problems. Right, but... So even though they're supposed to be these kind of impossible tasks, the beast just keeps giving him more until the cold of this region begins to take him. Yeah, and the longer he stays with the beast, the more sickly he looks. And he doesn't seem to be aware that that's happening to him. And even though his spirit never breaks, his body gives out. Because the woodsman said, like, you can't fall ill or lose hope or you'll die, basically. Like, the beast is kind of like death in a way, too. You will allow death to overtake you, you know? And so his body kind of gave out. Like... I thought it was really cool, like, one of the last impossible tasks he was given was to capture sunlight in a teacup. And so he figured out the riddle. He just put the teacup in a place where it would be in the pathway of the setting sun, so it would give the illusion that it's going into the teacup. And the beast is like, oh, I thought you would give up. And Greg's just like, I'll never give up. <laughs> I think that's true. He'll only give out. He'll never give up. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mert, Mert. Meanwhile, <laughs> Wirt will always give up. Yeah. He, but <laughs> he he's he's a friend to despair. He is. Yeah. Greg is literally like overcoming these impossible tasks in the presence of the beast. Yeah. Still being friendly and happy while talking to the beast. Who he has been aware of as the villain yeah. from the first episode. And Wirt is gonna die without ever seeing the beast. <laughs> That's true. In yeah. the episode prior to this. He's yeah. just like, ah, you know, it's kinda hard. He was giving up. Yeah. Yeah, in these last two episodes, we kind of see the ways that the beast might win through Wirt giving up and Greg just not being able to go on anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, physically. Right. They kind of represent mental and physical exhaustion in their, like, near-death experiences. Yeah. Another thing about Wirt turning into the Edelwood tree as well. Yes. Is, in that episode, when Greg is having the dream, and he defeats the North Wind, which is plaguing the Cloud City... The queen of the Cloud City comes down and says, Hey, you did it, Greggy old boy. Now I get to grant you a wish. I can send you home. Right? He's like, oh, sick. Me and Wirt, right? She's like, no. Wirt's already given in to despair. He belongs to the beast now. He's too far for me to reach. And then she shows that the Edelwood branches are growing around Wirt. Yeah. And it seems like Greg made a wish instead to be able to talk to the Beast. To try to negotiate Wirt's freedom. Interesting. I actually thought that the Beast was manipulating Greg's dream and was the Queen of the Clouds. Oh, you like, thought? Like, kind of speaking into his mind. Well, because when Greg is walking away with the Beast, he was talking about the deal they made. 
Yeah, it seemed like the conversation was kind of a continuation of what they were saying, what what Greg was saying to the queen. That, it's very creepy, by the way. Yeah. yeah. That works with the whole dream logic thing we established earlier that yeah. every place they go to is sort of right next to each other, even though yeah. they're distant. Right. Yeah, because in one of the last episodes when the woodsman hears the beast tracking the children, like, and you can hear the boys, like, they're right next to the mill still where they were in the beginning. Right. Yeah. And there also seems to be a very deliberate use of misdirection or, like, going in the wrong direction and finding what you're looking for regardless. Like, yeah. there's a scene where Wirt and Beatrice are trying to find Greg and are running in the opposite direction from where Beatrice just came from where Greg was and yet they still come upon Greg. So it is this bizarre dream logic where you maybe find what you're looking for. Never in my dreams. I never find what I'm looking for in my dreams. <laughs> yeah. But maybe in some dreams people do. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, though, that we're, when he wakes up and sees that Greg is gone, he tears the Edelwood off of himself because he's worried about Greg and wants to find where he is. Great point. So, yeah, that kind of is about the theme of family, you know, which we haven't talked about before. The kitties are, are rustling in the background. Um, but it's kind of been present throughout the whole series. And, you know, he wants to save his brother. He realizes that there is something that he wants to live for. Right. It's losing Greg is when Wirt finds his resolve. Even though Wirt is like this kind of moody older brother who blames Greg for getting them lost and everything, Greg is unflappable. And deep down inside, Wirt truly cares about Greg. And it is in losing him that he is kind of given his will to keep going. Yeah. And... Greg cares about work, too. That's why he makes the deal with the Beast. Right. They're kind of each other's strength and weakness in a way. Because the Beast does use Wirt as a manipulation tool to get Greg to come with him. And, you know, Beatrice is similar to Wirt. Despite her callous and sarcastic demeanor, she cares a lot about the boys. And her own family. Like, she feels so guilty for turning them all into bluebirds. <laughs> it's like, she, come on. She, yeah, she feels like she can't go home until she figures out how to, like, save them all. But, you know, it's sad because we see in the postscript with Beatrice's family that they're just kind of, like, playfully ribbing her. Like, oh, you know, her mother repeats the line from before of, like, you know, have some more dirt. Yeah. Or here, you can eat some dirt. And Beatrice is kind of annoyed. And her mom's like, yeah, but you turned it in the birds. But that's okay. Just eat your dirt. And then Beatrice gives, like, kind of a snotty look. But she ends up smiling in the end. Like, we're seeing that a lot of times in this series, people's expectations of how others react to them mm -hmm. are incorrect. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Wirt deals with that a lot back in the uh, quote-unquote modern day. When they're looking for Sarah to give her this tape originally yeah. at a football game, she is the mascot. And 
Wirt and Greg are intercepted by some other classmates who are happy to talk to Wirt, and they're going to give Sarah the tape for him because he has social anxiety. Right. They're teasing him about liking Sarah, but they're also, they also seem friendly towards him. It's not, like, necessarily mean. Yeah. They just weren't letting up, even though he was anxious about it. Yeah, Yeah, they're just kind of goofy teens, just ribbing each other. Yeah. And they do give her the tape for him, too. So they do, like, care that it does get delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, work just has major confidence issues. It's true. And then he and Greg end up going to a, uh, a party. They're outside of this house, a Halloween party, and Sarah is inside, and Greg is like, all right, go in and give it to her. He's like, oh, I can't. I wasn't invited. And Greg is like, then I'll go in. And it's like, you weren't invited. But when they end up going in anyway, everyone is like, oh, Wirt, you came to the party. Yeah, like we were hoping you'd be here. And they're all like trying to talk to him, and he's awkwardly trying to crab walk out of the room. Word's just really bad with social cues. Yeah. He can't see that other people want to connect with him. It's sad. Yes. Well, he heard a rumor that another classmate, Jason Funderburger. Jason Fuckerburger. (laughs) Isn't that the name of that uh, hamburger restaurant? (laughs) (laughs) Butt fuckers. (laughs) It's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love a good butt fucker. <laughs> so Wirt heard that Jason Buttfucker <laughs> was gonna ask out Sarah that very night. And so he's so anxious to talk to Sarah because now there's a time constraint. At the party, he knows Wirt that is, knows that Yeah. Sarah is there, but also knows that Jason Whatafucker is there. (laughs) And he's pretty spooked. Now he talks to Sarah, who's like, hey, come hang out with us at the cemetery. And Wirt says, no? Yeah. Kind of. He's very awkward about it. She clearly wants to hang out with him and get to know him better. And he just thinks that he has no chance yeah, because Jason shows up and all his confidence leaves because he thinks Jason is pretty hype. Yeah. Yeah, he's the total package. Even yeah. though it's clear that Jason is just a dweeb who's very awkward but confident about himself and people are nice to him and so is Sarah, but like she clearly doesn't like him. Well, and that's another thing where Wirt's bad at reading social cues because he's watching Jason fuck around, put his hand, <laughs> like, try to hold Sarah's hand, and Wirt's, like, freaking out. But he's not seeing the closer reality where Sarah's like, you can stop touching my hand now. Like, yeah. to Jason. She's not interested in him. She's clearly interested in Wirt. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And Wirt and Greg just sort of weirdly follow behind them to the cemetery. Yeah, I know. I mean... If awkwardness was a shoe, Wirt would wear it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what his plan was, but he sends Greg out ahead. Greg starts acting like a ghost, which (laughs) they think is funny. 
and want to interact with them. Yeah, they're pretty they're like, cool kids. Oh, Greg, you're Wirt's younger brother, right? Where's Wirt? And Greg just points him out. <laughs> and he tries to hide behind a tombstone. And everyone is like, Wirt, we see you're over <laughs> Greg there. does not have a deceptive bone in his body. He no. has no interest in subterfuge of any kind. No. Yeah. He did have a secret, but he didn't lie about it. We'll get to that in just a sec. But Wirt, his worst nightmare, he says, is Sarah going out with Jason Funda, Funda Boy <laughs> and <laughs> them listening to the tape he made right. and laughing at him, right? He doesn't want to be laughed at. <laughs> yeah. It's relatable. Yeah. And then he wants them to laugh with him. Yeah. He looks horrified. He looks like he wants to claw his own face off. Yeah. He's so terrifying. Sounds like something the beast would do. <laughs> when they're on top of the garden wall, oh! Uh, <laughs> they uh, they look out over and see Sarah pull the tape out and Jason Funderburger sort of laugh at it. Yeah, and Wirt just is like, he's, he's dead <laughs> inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why he ends up going to a land of the dead. Yes. Yeah. At least in part. And something that's interesting is earlier that night when he was first leaving his house with the tape, he strikes out and he says, into the unknown. Yes. Yes. Oh, he went into the unknown, all right. Yeah. And just another little interesting tidbit, when they go over the garden wall uh. and they're almost <laughs> hit by a train, there's a train song playing that's talking about how you don't need a ticket and eventually you're going to ride this train. Train, yeah. of course, being a metaphor for passing into the afterlife, as everybody who's ever played Final Fantasy VI knows. But if you suplex that train <laughs> that takes you to the afterlife, you don't die. Ah, good to know. But trains are also a common way for the average wage slave to go to their daily job, which is like death. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, class struggle. Yes. Well, why don't we get into class struggle then? <laughs> Great idea, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the most overt examples of that would be Auntie Whispers and her Protestant work ethic yeah. that she uses to keep Lorna's demon from coming out. Yeah, it's like, oh, you have to work hard so that you aren't wicked. Right. <laughs> so this is really a critique of the way that people will kind of use the idea of wickedness and sin as a way to prevent people from kind of having a way to unwind or to ever like feel like they can stop working for a second now the problem is in this show lorna is possessed by an actual demon who eats children content warning <laughs> if she stops working right earlier in the season we got a pretty good critique of capitalism where we see Quincy Endicott, mm -hmm. the millionaire or even billionaire tea magnate who talks about the terrible things he's done to build up his empire. Yeah. 
But then it's juxtaposed in the ringing of the bell by this message that, you know, for someone like Lorna, who has a demon inside of her that wants to come out. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe just relax for a minute. When she stops working, then it's a danger. Isn't wasn't there an old saying kind of makes me remember idle hands the devil's work are the make the devil do the devil's work do the devil's work yeah. idle hands jack the devil's cock <laughs> <laughs> idle hands stroke the devil's cock yeah thank you fidget spinners for <laughs> keeping our hands occupied <laughs> oh my god for keeping our spinners. hands pure <laughs> yeah we just dated our show by like two years yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, that constant need to be busy or like constantly legitimizing your existence by completing tasks is definitely like a Protestant work ethic that is part of capitalism because of the history of how those grew and intertwined in our culture. Absolutely. Now, I did like an interesting device they used in that episode though with the bell Mm -hmm. because bells have an interesting symbolism in various cultures for example in japanese culture and shinto religion bells are a ward against evil spirits yeah which really fits very nicely into this episode but also in western cultures we have death knells and the ringing of bells for those who have died yeah so, I mean, and we have so many allusions to death and in there, this series. In a lot of, like, sacred rituals, bells can be a signal to spirits or, like, your ancestors. And they can also be used in exorcisms, which they do in the show. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And also, to go back to my comparison between this show and Bloodborne, in Bloodborne, there's the bell maidens who ring bells and keep summoning monsters until you kill them oh wow scary stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a lot if of- you hear a bell in bloodborne you better kill it <laughs> and by it i mean the person holding it okay. or the evil monster spirit holding it yeah it seems like there's a lot of correlations between the game and this show it's all connected man <laughs> let me just Guide you to my conspiracy wall with all my red lines pointing at, you know, hunters, woodsmen, beasts, beasts. Why do they all lead to one game controller? A truly troubling question. But a lot of those right there sounded a lot like rock facts, Jamie. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned rock facts. A very important element of this show. Yes. What does it mean? Do you want to talk about rock facts? I think it's important to talk about rock facts. So, the little brother, Gregory, right? (laughs) Uh, We see in the first... Greg, if you're nasty. It's true. (laughs) We see in the first episode, he whips out a rock with a, a goofy face painted on it. Let's not jump to any kind of value judgments about Goofy. Yes, it's true. Greg wouldn't know much about Goofy. (laughs) But rock facts in the show are uh, lies, as it were, or just incorrect (laughs) statements. Yeah. And uh, 
after he says them, he pulls out the rock and he does a goofy little voice. He goes, That's a rock fact, right? Yeah. And we see it a couple of times. And then when he's becoming an Adelwood tree, when he's losing his hope. Yes. Yeah. He confesses. He has a confession. Very true. This is a dark moment. I know. Greg, the the purest, you know, most innocent character. He's a, I stole the rock. Oh, boy. On Halloween, he was cleaning a woman's garden and porch for candy because she told him that you don't get things for free. Another part of the Protestant work ethic. Yes. Yeah. And he stole <laughs> that rock from her garden. I guess you do get some things for free if you take them. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I stole the rock. I'm a stealer. Which was a rough thing to hear Greg say. He's yeah. the goodest boy. And he's even better for admitting to what he's done. <laughs> you know, lawful good isn't always being lawful and good. It's your moral compass pointing towards lawful good. Yeah. It's law and good. <laughs> Every paladin burns down the wrong village sometimes. Oh, God. Oh God. What aren't you telling us, Jack? Oh, well. Anyway, let's talk about the rock facts. <laughs> but we do, you know, it hit me pretty good the first time I heard that Greg stole that rock. I was like, whoa, shit. Biggest twist of the series, would you say? Yeah. yeah. Was that the Shyamalan moment? Yes. I also, that hit me pretty hard when I first saw it, too. Yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, you're like, he just took a rock with a face on it. Not really the biggest bad thing you could do, but the fact that Greg did it, you're like, whoa, dude. I think it works <laughs> to really humanize Greg. Yes. Yeah. Because he's a little kid. Yeah, he's impulsive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's impulsive. Like, we know he's impulsive. He's impulsive throughout the whole series. Generally, his impulsiveness is altruistic. Yes. Or ends up working out in their favor. Yeah. He's kind of a Loki character in that regard. Yeah. Not the altruistic part. In that it's his chaos tends towards working out in he and Word's favor. Yeah. He's like a friendly Loki. He's kind of lucky. He was saying in... Uh, when they first found the frog in ordinary reality, that it would be... We can call it boring reality. Okay. we <laughs> uh, That it would be good luck for them to name the frog. And he's naming the frog the entire journey. So maybe he's trying to give them good luck that and, way. And you know, the naming of things in a lot of mythologies... Give, you know, is how you find the source of power of something. Knowing a true name in a lot of myths is a way to, like, take power over something. And, like, ha something being without a name is kind of considered bad luck. In the very first episode, the woodsman told them it would be important for them to n find a name for the frog. It kind of implying that it would be bad luck for them if they didn't. So then what's the significance of them finally settling on the name Jason Funderburger for the frog. Wurt's nemesis who doesn't know that he's Wurt's nemesis. Maybe it familiarizes him and make, doesn't make him seem unattainable or like out of reach or like Wurt couldn't be on his level, you know? It's like a grounding element for this 
perfect being that is Jason Funderburger, the human, <laughs> yeah. in yes. Wurt's mind. Right. It's also the last thing Greg hears before he sort of is passing on into becoming a tree. He's like, oh, Jason Funderburger. And he's like, oh, that's the perfect name for a frog. And then he yeah. sort of like loses the will to keep going. Sort of like that was closure for him. Good point. Yeah. And you know, maybe they really were there together because when they're in the hospital in the end, Greg remembers that the frog is named Jason Funderburger. And he's telling people all the stories of what was happening to them in the unknown. That's true. Yeah. All all Wirt's friends are totally into listening to it. Yeah. yeah. Even good. Jason Funderburger. Yeah. Who gets confused between himself and the frog in Greg's retelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty hype. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's important to point out that in episode seven, the frog's name is Dr. Cucumbers. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a very important title. And he's also called Greg Jr. in one of these episodes. <laughs> but Jason Funderburger is the final name. I'd also like to point out that in the version we watched, the subtitles change to correctly name the frog at any given point in I time. I love that so much. I always love that kind of thing, yeah. They're like, oh, Dr. Cucumbers, and then it says in parentheses, Dr. Cucumbers Ribbits. And I'm like, <laughs> it would have been so easy to say frog ribbits, nope. but they did you, the work. You can't do that. They put in that little amount of effort. It, it's probably not that little, actually, because they yeah, keep changing it. they have to make sure it's accurate in the moment. It's more fun that way. They also could have said Jason Funderburger, but that would have been a huge spoiler. True. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, but that's dating itself. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Bit racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you put it that way. Yeah, you can't do that. Speaking of racism, I feel like we should talk about the classic cartoon aesthetic of the show. Yeah. And what the significance is beyond just the inspiration of old-timey cartoons. Because, to me, it kind of creates this timeless feeling for the show where where it can never really feel dated because it is, in a, in a weird way, right? Because it's borrowing this aesthetic that's been around in cartoons for, like, 70 or 80 years. Yeah. So it kind of creates this unknowable time that this is occurring in, that the story occurs in. It cannot be known, you're right. It's almost like it's something that's unknown. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) The aesthetic of Wirt and Greg's, like, home time is very, like, 1970s audio cassettes and clothing and stuff. Yeah. But inside the unknown, they kind of go between very different aesthetics, like pastoral huts with, you know, women in servant dresses and the puritanical kind of outfits of Auntie Whispers and Lorna. Yeah. Quincy Endicott has a very Victorian aesthetic. Yeah. It's a very timeless place. Mm-hmm. And I think that this melding of cartoon styles you know greg's dream is very colorful and expressive yeah and 
they kind of adopt an even older style of animation for yeah. that one. And it's definitely even more cartoony, if that's possible. <laughs> well, yeah, you've got, like, the pigs who are juggling their heads and the yeah. birds that pick up the heads. And, and the color palette is totally different. Yes. Um, In the regular unknown, it's all muted tones, a lot of earthy tones. <laughs> of course, Greg's dream is like an electric Kool-Aid acid test. <laughs> yeah, it's like very bright colors you know I his dream reflects his personality yeah everybody's this they're just there to welcome him and and to help him in his tasks and to sing <laughs> yeah he loves to sing it's great he's in a marching band yeah he and his dad both wanted Wirt to join the marching band Right. Because he plays the clarinet, and he had anxiety about playing instruments in front of people, but on the boat episode with the frogs, he gets over that fear of playing instruments in front of people when he plays the bassoon? Yep. Yeah. So maybe he'll join the marching band. Also, Sarah's in the marching band. Oh, boy. We found out. It's a good way for them to connect. Yeah. It's true. Good things for Wirt's future. If he can get over that social anxiety, which is very challenging. Yes. But Wirt's got a lot going for him. He's got a good personality. He's a good kid. He's got his little brother to keep him honest and, and vivacious. Mm -hmm. And I want to mention the last thing we see in the show is a, is a scene of a few little leaves and some dirt and rocks. And you see a hand putting the rock, fact rock, back into place and leaving Great. it there. Greg's making right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That was a nice little end cap. Yeah, that's why they went to purgatory, too, because of Greg's sin. <laughs> <laughs> he stole. Well, what about Wirt's sin of idle hands? Yes. <laughs> Oh, do you think that's about <laughs> masturbation? <laughs> I'm glad you went there. That brought us to the final theme of the show. <laughs> Self-pleasure. Because <laughs> this show is just such a pleasure. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have just concluded our discussion of Over the Garden Wall, completing another satire TV arc. But we've got to share our last thoughts about this I'm just going to say it right up front. Amazing show. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think this show is amazing. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I love the aesthetic. I love kind of the vaguely horror aspects of it yes it's kind of like got the horror pastiche but it's more about personal exploration it's like kid-friendly terror yeah and like about family and kind of finding yourself and understanding what's important it has a lot of good lessons in it for any age really and um yeah i just i love the animation style and like the music and the voice acting, it really draws you in and they have the aesthetic so down. It's great. 
I just really enjoy it. <laughs> mm. And the fact that it takes place around Halloween, just like, you know, they've got a place in my heart. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I would highly recommend, if anybody hasn't somehow watched this show, that you you, you watch it. <laughs> you Drop watch everything it. you're doing and you watch it. You go watch it. <laughs> Definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head with, like, the horror aesthetic of the show because i think the show is so interesting for the whole family someone asked me what like age range this is aimed at like well every episode has like light-hearted moments because greg exists and he's like the self-insert young character that i think kids could relate to he sings he's really upbeat but like as an adult there's a lot of, like, disturbing imagery. Yeah. Yeah, to satisfy... Sure. You sick fucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say to satisfy decrepit old folks like me. Yeah, uh, yes. Well, you're also a sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. But you're also the kid who likes singing. And uh, everybody should be. I am also that. That's a good point. Yes. Yeah. So I, I love a little lighthearted murder allegory. This is something exactly. This is this is a show that parents can watch with their kids really easily and get a, a ton of enjoyment out of. Absolutely. Or, you know, people like us. <laughs> we watch it with our cats. Okay. Yes. But I mean, it's perfect for people of all ages is what I mean to say. And it's 1 it's, to 100. It's deep. There yeah. are 15 minute episodes and after basically all of them you're like, "Whoa." That was pretty intense. There's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This show packs in so much interesting content, really unexpected themes about life and death, about right and wrong, about mm-hmm. regret and like the complex emotions that we go through. At different stages in our lives. It's about grief in a lot of ways. And it's about caring for, you know, loved ones. Yeah. It, it's it's just so evocative, the art style and everything like you were saying. But just the way that it handles the topics of death and regret and sadness. And still provides you with a feeling of hope. And like there's hope for us all to maybe overcome the issues that we're facing. And it's a reminder that a lot of times our issues that we see in ourselves aren't necessarily a concern for other people. People might like us in spite of things that we find less than desirable about ourselves, much like Wirt and his friends where Wirt has all this anxiety, but people seem to genuinely like him. Yeah. They don't see that. They don't see something that, you know, that he thinks is not worthy of their affection. They're just like, oh, you're a nice guy. Like, you should be hanging out with us more. And he thought he wasn't invited to that Halloween party, but when he got there, everybody was happy to see him. Yeah. So it was probably just like a general thing. They probably just thought anybody would come. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, this show is a fucking 10 out of 10. Just Yeah. Perfect. I love it. And Jack, you introduced us to it. Like, that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Good on you. (laughs) It's good. 
<laughs> it is so worth it. We've This is the second time we've watched it. I'd watch it again. I plan on making it a Halloween tradition. I like it. I'm down. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll pretty much do it for us here this week on Swords and Satire. But as always, if you enjoyed the show... You can head on to social media and follow us at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Keep up with our memes, future episodes, and movies and shows we'll be watching. And, you know, hit us up if you want to have a chat about any of the stuff that we talk about on the show. And like we said, you can head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire if you want to become a supporter of the show. And you can take a look at the tiers and uh, see what works for you. And uh, yeah, you get access to bonus content at every tier. And you could vote on the movies we watch each month. We put up a poll and it's fun. But yeah, we would really appreciate it. But if you don't have a few extra bucks to send toward your favorite podcasters, another way you can support the show is... Share it with your friends, your family, your little brother. Your enemies. <laughs> yes. Your frenemies. It's true. Spread that good word, and you guys can watch the media we watch, listen to the episodes, and enjoy them together. Yeah. Have you heard the good news? <laughs> mm-hmm. Swords and Satire talks about fantasy movies and shows. Yeah. It's just the best. <laughs> It's what Jesus wanted. Expand the Swords and Satire family. Talk about poop today. (laughs) (laughs) That's the least you can do. Well, until next time, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!